Welcome to the Doctors Hospital podcast. I am your host, Alexis Burrows, brand manager at Doctors Hospital. Today we are continuing our back to school series um, and we have as a guest on the podcast licensed marriage and family therapist and CEO of RPC Limited, Dr. Edrica Richardson. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Richardson. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. Now, I know from my previous um, interactions with you, you go by Dr. E. So is it good if I call you Dr. E throughout the show? It is perfect if you call me that. Okay, good. Before we get started, here are a few words on the new normal at Doctors Hospital. We at Doctors Hospital have been hard at work preparing for the new normal. From COVID screening as you enter the facility, to mandatory hand and shoe washing stations. To further limit contact, we have launched a concierge service that allows for pre-registration and in-car waiting. Scheduling for imaging, laboratory, rehabilitation, and other services has also been adjusted. And our pharmacy is now offering curbside pickup and delivery. We're here to serve you with the same quality and care that you've come to expect. Doctors Hospital. Trusted and best care now. Isn't your health worth it? All right, so we have you here today because we wanted to, um, what we've been doing is tackling some key areas of uh, children's health as we, you know, people are getting prepared for the idea of going back into school, you know, regardless of what that may look like. And so we've gone through, um, obviously, some COVID questions and some general health questions. Last week, we had on um, an occupational therapist and a speech language pathologist. So today, what we want to talk about is um, some mental health questions as it relates to children. Um, what I've done uh, in preparation for today's show is I've actually gathered um, questions from a few parents that I know, as well as a few teachers that I know who work in the educational space. So okay. some of the questions will be coming from a teacher's perspective, and then some of them will be coming from a parent's perspective. And I'll try to um, let you know as we go into the question which angle it's coming from. So that way, you know, your answer kind of speaks to, to the right direction. Okay. All right. So first things first, um, what are some of the most common mental health issues that young people face in our country? What I've seen, especially within the last, let's say the last um, two to three years, the common ones are anxiety disorders, and those go from general anxiety to more specific anxiety, like agoraphobia or social anxiety, as we call it. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of depression happening. Um, I've also seen um, just some regular adjustment, life adjustment issues, um, either with careers or relationships. Um, but overall, those seem to be the thematic um, categories of the mental health stuff I've seen um, throughout the Bahamas within the last two year period. Okay. Um, is there, are there any studies that are, that are being done or that have been done that kind of speak to, to those numbers? There, there are some studies um, 
not locally that have been mm-hmm. done to talk about it, but more in the, the, the Caribbean diaspora of what those changes are looking like. Mm-hmm. And um, those studies are looking at the fact that anxiety in general has increased worldwide. Right. It's now become the number one mental health disorder. And that is because my opinion, it is we're so used to immediacy now in life mm-hmm. that when things aren't happening and they're feeling out of our control, which is what anxiety is, things are we are not able to control how we react to those things. So we can't plan the way we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, COVID is a good indication of that. Um, the amount of new even anxiety cases have um, skyrocketed with the fact that we've been taught our lives to plan. We mm-hmm. can't plan right now. Right. We can we can flexibly plan or have an idea of some things, but we all have had plans for 2020, and I would say maybe five percent of us in the mm-hmm. entire population would have been able to accomplish those right. because it was something out of our control. So when we look across the board, even those international studies make sense in the context because we are feeling that we can't almost keep up with the things as as they are transitioning or changing the trends. And so that's creating a lot more anxious behavior in general. Okay. Okay. Understood. Um, you, you mentioned in particular um, anxiety and depression. So I guess this this question you can answer from both perspectives. If I'm a parent um, and I'm looking at my child or if I'm an educator and I'm, in, and I'm looking at a student or um, some students, what are some of the the indicators um, that I should be looking out for that may say that, hey, my child or the student is having an issue? Some of the key things you should look for is regression in behavior. And I'm going to say that generally, but I'm going to give a few examples. Okay. When you notice that you have a child or an, even an adolescent and they are starting to go backwards in, in developmental progress, that is some of the key signs. For instance, if you have a child who has been potty trained and now they are either bedwetting again or they, they are having messes on themselves, which mm-hmm. are out of the norm because they've passed that stage, that's a clear indication. If you notice now that they want to sleep um, with mommy and daddy more often and they don't want to go in their rooms by themselves, maybe they're they're afraid of the dark beyond normal. Like mm-hmm. as a normal progression, as kids get developmentally older, there's not that fear of the unknown. Right. But if you notice now all of those things are, are reverting, those are some other signs. Their eating habits. If you mm. notice that they are not eating as much, um, because I've heard all parents complain right now, they actually want their kids to go back to school because they're <laughs> eating them out of the household. Mm-hmm. And they're not being able to, they're not eating as much. They're not even wanting to play um, just with their normal stuff that they like in the house. Those are some key things to look for. When I think about school, if you notice that your child isn't interested in school, they don't even want to um Prepare for school because one of the things I notice with kids is they like to get prepared for school. It's this fun thing. Um, they might complain about going to school every mm-hmm. now and then, but they like the preparation part, like the new stuff. Or mm-hmm. the, and you notice that they don't. Need, they're not even interested in that. If you notice, they don't want to do their work. Um, I mean, every kid now and then needs some guidance with it. But say that they were an adolescent and you notice that they're not, not turning in any assignments, you're getting reports from the teachers. Those are some indicators that maybe they're not processing things the same way and that you should check in on them. Okay. All right. Um, and I guess jumping off from that, if you notice um, that, you know, your child in particular 
um, more as a student, if, you, if you're seeing some of those signs, what are some of the initial coping mechanisms or strategies that you can enact either as a parent or as a teacher to kind of help um, that, that child or that adolescent going through um, what may look like anxiety or depression or the early stages of those? I think some of the initial things, the first thing is to talk to them. I think we, we hear that, we think it, but a lot of us don't actually approach it. And you have to talk to them at their level. That's the first step. That means that if you have a younger child, let's say um, someone between the ages of six to eight, you mm-hmm. can't have the same conversation you would have with a child that's between 15 and 18. Right. So you need to talk to them at their age level. You want to you want to observe their behaviors and talking to them first lets them know that you you notice something. And that goes a long way because then you get to ask them exactly maybe what they understand, communicate some of the changes that may be happening for them right now. So the first thing is to talk or check in with them. The second thing is that you may want to incorporate more activities with your child or your adolescent. Maybe um, they play alone. Why don't you become a part of the play? Mm-hmm. Um, to see if that can tell you not only how they're thinking, but also so that they know that they have support. Because even though your kid may like to do it on their own, everybody values knowing that this person is going to spend this time with with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might also want to, um, it, depending on how old your child is, you if they're a, like an adolescent, you can give them some books to read about some of the changes or even some videos to watch on how to understand what's happening right now. <laughs> But those would be some of the main things um, right now. And when you are feeling like maybe you don't know what else to do, that's the best time to reach out for support for maybe a professional to help um, lend a hand in those times. Okay. Um, And so how do we, so I I guess you're talking about, um, you were talking earlier about some of the the signs that there may be an issue. how do we then um, assist or encourage uh, kids to adopt healthier behaviors? First one is we have to model them. Kids learn the primary way in this age grouping anywhere from, you see it from a one-year-old all the way up to over 18 by modeling. Mm -hmm. We have to model for them what we expect. If we want them to eat better, are we eating better? If we want them to exercise, are we exercising? If we want them to read, are we doing it? The first way we do is by modeling. The Mm -hmm. second is by maybe working with them to come up with um, a plan. And I say that because, especially as your kids get older, anywhere over eight, they have ideas of how they'd like things to go when Mm -hmm. it comes to school, when it comes to socialization. Ask them. Ask them about what are some things that they think could be incorporated, not only for pleasure, but also for some consequences. Um, We notice that when you have kids involved in the process, they feel supported no matter what. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, I have two questions that kind of, I guess, jump off more so from the educational standpoint. Um, And the first one is how can um, a teacher create an environment to help a student that may be going through this? And then how best do they intervene without causing more harm? Okay. Um, I think that they can create an environment where 
at the beginning of the classes, um, and they may have to do this at the beginning of the semester and maybe even at the beginning of a week, each week, mm -hmm. where they create maybe a time for talking or expressing how the kids are feeling at that moment. Mm -hmm. Because they may be, that might be the first time somebody checked in with them to create an outlet right. that they get to express themselves. Um, and I think if you give five minutes, at a, either at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day and say, this is this is our safe space for venting to talking about whatever. Mm -hmm. That sets an environment where, again, I matter. I matter as a, as a student. I matter as a person and somebody's willing to listen to me. I think the other thing they could do to set up that environment is that making sure that the communication, um, whether in class or outside of class, is always being managed. Um, that there's no breaks in that communication at all. And mm -hmm. if they see a student falling off, that they check in with them as well as their parents. Right. Um, if they see that their students are maybe um, needing some extra attention, that's where they would go beyond the classroom environment to maybe sending a little note through these platforms to say, hey, I noticed you looked a little off today in class, just checking in to see how everything is. Right. Um, and if that gets... Um, unresponded to, maybe they go ahead and they communicate with the parents and say, hey, I noticed that Bob was not um, really focused today. Is everything going okay? Right. Um, I think if we do a more intentional job, and I'm saying intentional um, primarily because when you go from a place of intentionality, people get the the genuine care and concern and empathy you have for them. Mm -hmm. And that sets the tone and the environment to know how and when to do what. Right. Okay. Um, I guess, and I imagine in a circumstance like that where it's um, a teacher and the school environment, it becomes critical for the teacher to understand and set up the necessary boundaries so they're not crossing any lines in terms of with the child and then also with the, the parent-teacher relationship as well. It is important. Um, I've heard, um, so different age groups of children developmentally are going to need something different. Mm -hmm. Let's say we have your middle childhood kids. Those are between anywhere between um, six to maybe 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So your relationship with them is probably just going to be um, a little communication during class. And then you probably will end up communicating outside of class with their parents. Right. If you have an adolescent or so any child, let's say in high school, mm -hmm. Um, you're going to be communicating more with them because they have a little bit more um, responsibility for their role in their educational process. Right. So you can start with communicating with them first. And then if you notice that maybe one thing I know about teachers is that they could tell the difference between you at the beginning of a semester, the middle of a semester and the end, because they spent so much time with you and how you differed from last year. Right. So I think they have to notice those little changes, take into consideration the environmental contacts, and they also know the support in which the parents are role they're playing with their with their students. Mm -hmm. And if they have parents that are very involved, they know it wouldn't make a difference if they contacted the parents. Right. If they notice a parent as not as as not an as involved within the child's life, then this is where they become like that secondary parent to that child to offer that support to mm -hmm. them. And so I think the age of the child makes a difference in when and how to intervene. But if the older they are, I'd always start with them first because right. you don't want to leave them out of trying to make the change. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Understood. Um, and at what point, I guess, you know, does it become necessary to say, okay, we now need to seek um, professional help, external help outside of either the home environment or the school environment? I think once you've tried everything in your wheelhouse, your toolbox, um, that's when you when you've gone to, let's say if it's a teacher, you've tried everything, you know, you tried to create the safe space, you tried to reach out to the student, you've tried to reach out to the parent on your own, no no luck or no change there, then you mm -hmm. involve administration. And usually most schools still have either a guidance counselor or some um, paraprofessional support there. Mm -hmm. You try that route. If that still um, isn't happening and maybe your school doesn't have that paraprofessional, that's when you need to reach out for support um, externally because maybe it goes beyond the level of training for either. Okay, understood. Um... So I have one more question that, that sits more in the general space, um, and that's how do I as a parent know when my behavior may be negatively impacting my child's mental health? Uh, whew, that one is a little hard because that was going to require some introspection. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard just because most people have not done some self-work on their own mm -hmm. so it becomes a little harder to put the mirror to your child when you haven't um, done it to yourself but it's also easier for a lot of people to point out what's wrong with somebody else mm -hmm. so what I would say is that let's go through the normal basic things we do on a daily basis and if you as I go through the list if you notice that you may not be doing any of these things right then you may be having an effect on your child. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are not sleeping properly or have good sleep patterns, meaning if you don't go to bed at a, at a particular time every night or around a particular time, mm -hmm. if you notice that if you for yourself aren't eating well, if you notice that your mood changes are fluctuating all the time, right? And I'm not saying every, I'm not saying once a week, I'm saying all the time. Mm -hmm. If you notice that you don't have a lot of a social life beyond just what's around you. If you have changed jobs a lot, I'm naming those things because when we look at the, what effect tends to affect others, it is the primary things that affect us. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you notice that you're not eating well, usually when people aren't eating well, they're, they're going to have normal mood changes because of the chemical imbalances that food provides for our body. Mm -hmm. And when that's not happening they're, and their mood fluctuates, they're usually going to present in a different way, sometimes usually more what I call hangry to people. <laughs> uh, that creates an environment in which nobody wants to be around you. And if you notice that your kids are backing away from you or even afraid to tell you things that they normally do, it's probably because you're presenting with that mood that, does, that doesn't offer a space of acceptance or inviting. And those things over time get you to, to see that your kids are starting to distance themselves for any connection from you. Those would be indications that maybe you're part of the problem. If you notice that they're not talking to you, they, they, they're they only sitting in their rooms all the time. They're self-isolating. Those would be some signs to let you know that some something you may be doing could be affecting their behavior. Right. Okay. Before we continue... 
Here are a few words on Doctors Hospital's new Loyalty Advantage membership program. Doctors Hospital is proud to introduce the Loyalty Advantage membership program, or LAMP. LAMP offers medical service discounts to new and existing Doctors Hospital patients. With membership starting as low as $20 per month, LAMP benefits include fee waivers for insured patients, discounts on inpatient and outpatient services, access to free imaging services, and much more. For a full list of benefits or to sign up for LAMP, visit doctorshops.com slash LAMP. Doctors Hospital, trusted and best care now. Isn't your health worth it? So, like I said, that was the last question in, in more of the general direction. Um, obviously, given where we are right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and everything that's been happening, there's been, there have been questions that have been asked more in and around that space. So these next set of questions will, are, are more geared towards that particular conversation. Um, so the first thing is, what are some, or I guess, is there is there anything, any research being done to look at the potential negative effects of lockdowns and stay-at-home orders on um, kids and adolescents in particular? There have been a few studies. I know the um, there's been a study recently read that came out of um, the outbreaks effect in um, the UK. So mm -hmm. I haven't heard of any ones locally just as yet with that population. I know there's also been a few studies um, by the UN and UNICEF um, and NIH, which is the um, National Institute of Health, looking at what are some of the effects on um, children, the child and their maternal health during this time. Mm -hmm. And they looked at um, kids from different um areas of the world and how it's affected them and what they found out is that of course one of the biggest areas for kids right now that are affected is their socialization mm -hmm. kids need to socialize right. it's a normal part of their developmental process and after a while when they feel like that's being isolated mm -hmm. and it's not being fostered in a different way and i'll give examples of how you can do that differently they start to react. They start to have maybe temper tantrums or mm -hmm. other argumentative behavior. And you're thinking, well, well, why is my child acting like this right now? Right. But if we put it in context, most children go to school eight hours a day, mm -hmm. usually about nine months a year. And for those eight hours a day that they're going to school, they are spending at least um, half of that time interacting with their friends. We don't, we don't think about it that way, but when they looked at um, even some school psychologists did some research on um, schools in general, how much time is work versus playtime, mm -hmm. the majority of people, um, whether you're in elementary, middle, or high school, are not spending eight hours doing work. It's really broken down between time of doing actual work, learning, mm -hmm. and time that you're interacting and social socializing. And that's usually a 50-50 split. And sometimes the younger the kids are, it's more playtime than it is learning wow. because of where the brain is at. And so one of the things I would say right now that has looked at is how kids are dealing with that. The other studies have looked at how anxiety is manifesting in these kids because they're not going to go and say to their parents, oh, I'm anxious right now. Right. Or they're going to say stuff like, oh, mommy, I have a tummy ache. Or, oh, dad, I don't feel so good right now. And those are the ways that they're going to express their anxiety. 
Hmm. So we have to make sure we look for those little things that they would do because mm-hmm. they're not just going to come and say, I'm feeling anxious right now. Right. And I guess to, to piggyback off of that, you know, obviously there are new orders in place now that are coming into effect on Monday. Um, and one of the things that allowed is is school. Now, I know from talking to different parents that some of the schools are taking you know, different kinds of approaches to this. Some of them are doing a hybrid between virtual and in-person. Some of them are doing fully virtual. So what kind of impact, be, you know, if, if, you're, if your child is in a school that's going full virtual, what kind of impact could that have on them losing out on that social interaction of the school environment? I think we... I would say we have to look and notice the changes because it, it, it's going to... For some schools, they are delaying the interaction part of things. Mm-hmm. And for some, some some schools, they've gone the whole semester now without having it. I think we have to figure out alternatives to it. Right. There are smaller um, extracurriculars that I've seen um, being advertised now that they can do um, smaller group sports or mm. swimming, um, things that they can do. I would even suggest that parents get together and have play dates. Um, one of my clients was able to do this with her children, was that there was another, um, a few, well, one particular mother who she know had the same like, like-minded practices that she was practicing within her household mm-hmm. and the limiting um, of connecting safely with others. Right. So they had, um, they had um, outside dates where they would take the kids out and um, where it's almost like the kids would play, but still distance, but mm-hmm. together. Okay. So it's creative ways now that we have to think outside of the box of how we're going to get that interaction for our children um, that we're going to feel safe with. That's going to make them feel safe, mm-hmm. but also doesn't omit the fact that they need that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know, I think I asked from, um, some of the conversations that I've seen around, you know, people, I think, have been talking more so about how the the lack of social interaction and, you know, the, 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 the lockdowns and staying at home and all of those things have impacted the, the older generation of kids. So like your adolescents. Um, but how early, you know, I, I guess what's the youngest age that a parent could could potentially expect to see? Um, behaviors coming up due to this disconnect this lack of socialization this you know because i mean you you think about it there's a lot of fear that's being talked about i imagine amongst people um especially if you live in an environment where you have an older member of your family that lives in the house or if you have somebody in the house with a comorbidity there's i imagine a lot more discussion about some of the fears of potential exposure that sort of thing so looking at i guess the the age bracket how what's the youngest age in, that a parent can expect their child to potentially show impacts of everything that's happening around them? Honestly, for that one, I don't know if the age matters as much as you're paying attention to the child mm-hmm. because um, we see, I could use the example. I have a three-year-old niece and um She's asked, she actually told my mother earlier, um, I just, I, I don't understand, and this is how she talks, I don't understand why people aren't putting on their masks so I can go back to the park. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so she's, she's being affected by that because 
we've told her, well, this is like everyone, we said to her at a level where she can understand right now, um, there's a virus going around, so we have to be careful. So the normal things we would do, like go to the park or go to the go to the play places, aren't open right now. Mm-hmm. Even to go into ice cream isn't open right now. Right. So we're gonna have to do a lot of them at home. And so that worked for for a month, and we had to reiterate it on the second month. But mm-hmm. now we're getting into four or five months into this. Right. And she said literally today, why aren't these people still putting on their masks? And she's <laughs> Right. Because, because she's being affected in fact right now, she can only play within a certain area, mm-hmm. which is inside the house and maybe in the backyard sometime. Right. And even though she isn't in school yet, we're starting to see the changes where she is getting frustrated because there's only so much stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. And then you have the older kids who are excited to go back to maybe to interact with their friends, um, even in virtual learning, but then they also don't want to be bombarded with sitting at a, at a computer for eight hours of a day. Right. And so I think we have to take it all in the context as to the age of the child and how it may present. Mm -hmm. It may not come out in one particular way. Right. And each child is going to look a little different, but just pay a little attention right now. I would say to your children, because they all need you, especially the adolescents, because we assume that they understand because they're older and mm-hmm. so they don't need explanations or information. But actually, that's the most vulnerable age for them where they need you to explain everything that's happening. Because as mm. we all know, social media is not always the best way of communicating information. Definitely not. All right. Okay. Um, I guess it's interesting because I think in some ways, you know, based on even um, some of the conversations, just from a clinical standpoint, you know, it seems like we're not really going to know the full impact of what this pandemic means um, for years to come, because, you know, there's the health side of it in terms of what people normally, I guess, associate with health, health, which is the physical health, but there's also the mental health component um, and being able to really, I guess, like you said, it's important that we pay attention to, um, especially parents and teachers, pay attention to the behaviors of our kids, our students, um, the the young people that we come in, into contact with, um, so that we can kind of see if there's changes in behavior and be on top of it. Because, like I said, we're not going to know the full am- impact of this for probably years to come. Right. Right. Um, so this, go ahead. So what I was going to say is that when we look at something, the re- most recent incident we had in our culture um, was Hurricane Dorian. Mm-hmm. And that happened a year ago now, mm-hmm. around this time. And so initially, we got the initial effects of the post and psychosocial support that people needed, let's say the first three to six months after. Mm-hmm. But research will tell you that you never see the true effects of something like that until sometimes a year, maybe two years after the event, mm-hmm. because people are still dealing with the the fallout from it. Right. The same thing with a pandemic like this. We're all in what we would call Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And mm-hmm. in this pyramid, the most basic needs are physiological. I think that until we get all back to a state of understanding and truly feeling like we can control our physiological needs, and that would be like our food, our shelter, Mm -hmm. our ability to provide for ourselves, 
we can't even think of the other needs. So this right. is why you see a delay in how the mental imp- mental health impact is really going to show up because as people get back to somewhat of a normalcy, because mm-hmm. some people have been out of work now for five, six months, right? then we won't know what the mental health looks like with them because they're just in survival mode. They're mm-hmm. in, how do I make sense of this mode? Right. After that gets settled is where you start to see the mental health stuff. Like, have they been dealing with their grief and loss during this time? Have they been dealing with the fact that maybe they're, they may have been sick or someone they've known have, have um, lost their lives to this illness? Right. Maybe they're dealing with the fact that maybe a family member just passed away naturally during this time, but they didn't get to go and mourn them right. or go to their, their funeral. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with the fact that people are had to to pool finances and maybe they didn't get to buy their medication right now and they're having uh, maybe some psychotic breaks right now and so now we have mm-hmm. to get them back on their medication regimen and normalize them for a couple months before we could actually get back to dealing with um, their traditional symptoms mm-hmm. so we won't actually probably see the impact for this mental health wise we're seeing it now but again, it's another, if we look at post-traumatic stress of these things, right. at least um, a year or two after the event, because people have to normalize first, mm-hmm. then we can deal with the aesthetic needs of mental health. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess similarly, uh, you know, you you hear even to this day stories about people who um, survived through like Katrina, for example, um, and how the ripple effect of, you know, things like natural disasters and things like what we're going through now with, with the pandemic, you know, the ripple effects of those sorts of things can, can go out for a long time and can impact people for a long time. Um, so I, I guess in terms of wrapping up, it just, it makes it critically important that, you know, for the purpose of this particular discussion, you know, that we pay close attention to um, the young people in our lives, um, obviously looking at as they're getting ready to go back into whatever the school environment looks like, um, to, to watch for potential changes in behavior, um, in activity levels, like you were mentioning things like eating habits, all of those different things. Um, and then also to just to be, to be mindful, um, as we interact with one another, even as adults, right? right? Because the, the, the impacts of it, on us will also ripple down and affect our kids and the young people in our lives because they see how we are acting, how we are reacting, how we are responding to different things. They can see and sense the the, the stress in mommy or daddy's voice when they're talking about certain things. And, you know, we have to be mindful of all of that as we kind of navigate, um, hopefully, what is a path towards a new normal but not lose sight of, you know, the potential impact it can have on both us as adults, but especially looking at the the kids in our lives. Yes, I think if if I could say one thing too, particularly to my teachers right now, um, if you are changing your traditional class setting to like a virtual environment, be mindful that there is some learning processes that go with that because I teach online as well. Mm -hmm. uh, And I get to go through some trainings with that. And you you have to adjust your material to fit the environment. You can't just put your material from a traditional setting to this environment and expect it to work the same way. So I would encourage teachers who are listening to make sure that you've made some accommodations for for that, Um, especially with the fact that schools administration need to think of the fact that maybe an eight hour system won't work in this environment. How do we still get and be as effective due to the current conditions. Because again, 
the research is there. Children aren't learning eight hours of a school day. So how do we maybe change our hour structure where we could still be as effective and not have them sitting there uh, or or having to feel the same structure when the environment is not the same? Right. Um, When it comes to our parents, like you said, they have to pay the extra attention to themselves as well as their children right now with these adjustments and make the adjustments necessary. I think one of the things parents struggle with a lot is that this is my way of thinking I should do it this way. Mm-hmm. And now everything has changed. You might have to realize that you have to pivot your thinking to match these changes. So maybe your kid cannot no, no longer go to a school that is traditional. Maybe they have to go to a virtual system in right. this time. So you feel safe and they feel safe. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have to hire some tutors to help you with that because you don't understand the information or it's just better for your relationship to have an external person help them. <laughs> right. We all have to do a little pivoting right now. And when in doubt, um, just remember, we we all need a little help sometimes. So check in um, and look for the resources out there. There are a lot of resources to help you navigate through this. You don't have to know it all. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the most important thing is to remind people that they don't have to go through it on their own um, from, from any perspective or angle. Um, this has been a very interesting um, and enlightening conversation um i hope for our listeners as they've listened through some of the questions and your feedback and your answers that they've gained some insight maybe into you know not just their kids but even their interactions with their kids um for you know the the teachers who may be listening i hope it gives you some um insight into some of the signs and how you can help to to engage in that process between your students and their parents um Thank you very much, Dr. E, um, for joining us today. This has been a a very great conversation. Thank you so much for having me, and I am happy to help wherever I can. Okay. We'd like to give a special thank you to Dr. Edrica Richardson for joining the podcast today. Um, I hope for our parents and our teachers that you were able to learn a lot um, and get some insight into how best to, you know, monitor your, your kids and your students Um, and to be aware of when they may be um, potentially falling into issues that may be signs of mental health challenges and that sort of thing. Um, I hope that the insight that she provided was very beneficial for you. Um, So thank you again to Dr. Richardson for joining us. Dr. E, she's more commonly known. Um, And thank you to our audience for listening. I hope that this series has continued to educate you and enlighten you. And we have one more episode to go in our Back to School series next week. We'll be joined by Dr. Kristen Darvel, who is a pediatric dentist. So you have that to look forward to in in next week's show. So thank you again for listening. And as always, we encourage you to like, comment, subscribe, and share the podcast. And we'll see you back here next week for the final part of our back to school series.